Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Daily Beast, the New Abnormal live series. I'm New Abnormal producer Jesse Cannon, and I'll be hosting this fun Q&A with some of the smartest people in politics today. But before I introduce our guests, I just want to lay out the functions of this. Um, as you can see at the bottom, there's a chat and there's a little tab for Q&A. In that Q&A, you can submit questions and vote them up. So as the YouTubers say, if you smash that like button, we'd really appreciate it on your favorite questions. Uh, so there will also be a few fun polls we'll do, which we'll get to in a minute. But without any further ado, I'd like to introduce the new Abnormals host, Rick Wilson and Molly Jong-Fast. And as well, we have some special guests, including the Washington Bureau Chief at the Daily Beast, uh, Jackie Kucinich, and Aswin Subsang, a.k.a. Swin, who is a White House reporter at the Daily Beast. And... I'm very excited to have everybody here today. I'm a little scared since Swin and Rick have some of the most colorful language in describing our politics, but I think we're going to keep it on rails. And so with that, I believe we have a poll to start us off. What will you be doing on January 20th? And if everybody could answer that real fast, uh, we'd really appreciate it. And from there... uh, I'm going to start with a really fun question that we got submitted beforehand that I think everybody will have something fun to weigh in on. It says, uh, how do you see the end game playing out with GSA Administrator Emily Murphy? Will she sign the tra- transition authorization letter soon? And that is from Allison Torres. And whoever has feelings can start. I have many feelings. Uh, I think what she's going to end up doing is, 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 you know, humiliating herself. She's going to drag this out as long as she can. She's terrified that J- Johnny McEntee, the child uh, who runs the Trump, tr- uh, the Trump personnel office, will descend on her and fire her and blow up her career. She should be more afraid, I think, of, of the, the, uh, the approbation of the American people. But that's just me. Can she ever, I have a question, can so there's like a lot of talk about can Democrats subpoena her, can Democrats arrest her, can Democrats, you know, drag her through the streets. What can Democrats do? Jackie, do you have thoughts, Swin? So one of the things I know they are doing is they've asked that she um, come brief uh, Democrats in the House about what the heck is going on. It's not so my understanding is it's not a public hearing yet. It's not something you'll be able to turn on C-SPAN and watch. But they are finally like, okay, fine, we've been patient. What, what is your process here? What are you doing? Why are you holding this up? So I imagine once that happens, when she tells Congress what's happening, we'll know more. Um, but at this point, the calculus, you know, the Biden campaign could sue. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're going that direction. They've been kind of like, we're just going to remain calm, try to do this, have it funded. Because right now all these funds are locked up. Course, um, they're having it funded through donors, uh, meaning it's less than transparent right now as a result of that. Um, and so, but you know, until then, um, it's sort of in a holding pattern. Because what if they lose a lawsuit? You know, that then I, Trump would use I it asked, to his advantage. I asked um, Eric Swalwell, and he said that it was just that the court too slow. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, I mean, we're not dealing with a whole lot of time here so yeah it would burn time but to what end at this point and also molly you asked like there were people talking about like oh could democrats do any extreme measures like drag her out of there or arrest her i'm not sure if anybody um of any prominence is actually saying something like that it it would be like a house of cards style fantasy for libs if like nancy pelosi were to come in there and slap on the cops so no uh that is not going to happen and as jackie was pointing out there's not that much political recourse they have at this particular moment when you have a president and therefore an administration just 
110% devoted to propping up, at least as best they can from a public relations standpoint, this fictitious alternate reality that Trump won when he very clearly got rinsed in the 2020 election uh, by Joe Biden. So uh, the original question was, okay, is she going to actually let the transition get underway at some point? And by she, we mean obviously the administration. This is a much bigger problem than just uh, one woman in one position. Yeah, it's and, not just as one woman. <laughs> right. Right. She's holding that the answer is, of course, yes, if by soon you mean sometime between now and January 20th, which isn't that far away. But we've seen various experts coming out, some of them publicly, going on the record to say, look, the fact that you keep doing this is halting progress between coordinating between, for instance, coronavirus task force officials and the incoming Biden administration. And we are not being hyperbolic about this. These people are actually saying that this could cost lives, a significant number of families destroyed and bodies piled up on the ground. And the president of the United States and everyone who is in a position of power on down from him right now do not care about that. They are not moved by that argument or pretending it doesn't exist. So we are at the standstill that we are. And if morgues overflowing isn't going to convince them to move quickly today, then what will? But but if Emily Murphy did decide, oh, I'm just going to sign off, they would actually be able to get the funds. So it actually is one person right now that's controlling a lot of the levers. Yeah, I I think... She's not acting... Go ahead, sorry, Rick. Right, she's not acting... Right. I, I think that's a real question for, for Jackie and, and Swin. I mean, does the, are the people in the White House cackling and rubbing their hands together saying, ha, ah, we're holding it up, for, we're using this woman, Emily, to hold it up? Or are they just sort of, you know, is it just the, more of the usual sort of fear and intimidation that anybody in the administration feels of, of crossing him? Well, most of it is a standard operating procedure of we are a direct expression of the sheltering of Donald Trump's uh, fragility, especially when it comes to his uh, ego and his presidential ego. So it's a direct expression of that. When it's not actively a concern of reprisal, it's oftentimes an expression of, if not loyalty, whatever that means in the Trump era, but also we are an extension of Donald Trump's ego. And this isn't just something where people go on TV as a PR apparatus to say nice things about the leader, trying to make him feel good about himself. This is something where vast resources of the campaign, the Trump legal world, and the administration, not just the White House, are being marshaled to uh, protect that very uh, prominent conservative principle right now, which is, of course, the protection of Donald Trump's feelings. Uh, We had a story uh, that came out last week, I believe, about how the uh, White House personnel office, which helps staffed uh, vast uh, quantities of the federal government administration, run by Trump uber loyalist and purge meister uh, Johnny McEntee, as you pointed out earlier, Rick, uh, they are still vetting contenders to fill positions for a second Trump term uh, in senior positions in the administration for a term that they know is not happening and is not going to come to fruition. And yet the personnel office is still actively vetting, calling references, doing uh, lengthy background checks on these uh, potential- Lengthy background checks, come on. <laughs> lengthy, sorry, I really should have put- uh, uh, Right, they Google, they Google the appointee's name and murder. Is what I should it's have not said. there, they hold them in. Um, Sorry, Swin. <laughs> no, no, no problem. You were right to call. See, this is why she's my editor. She catches me on these incorrect <laughs> adjectives and uh, unnecessary adverbs, and then she yells at me about it. And then the reader is better for it in the end. Um, but yeah, <laughs> anyway, my, my point is that uh, these aren't just them saying nice things about Donald Trump on cable news. These are actual taxpayer-funded resources and man hours and manpower that they are devoting to this fictitious reality that, oh yeah, term number two is right around the corner. But even the GOP Twitter account tweeted out that Trump had won. I mean, I don't think there's any uh, sunlight between Trump's fantasies and the GOP at this point. That is I mean, that press conference was at the RNC yesterday, right. the, the Giuliani but, press conference, that, that, you know, whatever that was. Which in um, the all-time yeah. annals of batshit press conferences, I mean, that's right up there at the peak of batshit mountain. 
There's just <laughs> nothing. There was, uh, I've never in my life, as a fairly close observer of Rudy, seen him that off the rails and never seen anything so completely, you know, uh, uh, it really, it really struck me yesterday. I'm like, this is why there are 70 million lunatics in this country, because there's a big media apparatus that's going to feed out from there to OANN and the Federalist and Breitbart and every other damn, you know, sewage pipe leading into the mind of the MAGA. And they're going to be told it's all done. It's good. Trump won. You know, Louis Gohmert, who, as we all know, is the smartest member of Congress, um, today declared that California had gone to Donald Trump. Wait, how? <laughs> that, well, that's voter fraud. By wedding Louis Gohmert, yes. Yeah. Voter <laughs> fraud. What's that? What did you say about Louis Gohmert's win? It was a joke. I was kidding. Best man at my wedding, Louis Gohmert. Please move on. You're at my wedding, Louis. Why don't we get on to another fun subject? Uh, So the top-rated question right now is from Greg Sayer, which says, have any of you had any conversations with competent lawyers, i.e. not the elite strike force, about whether any Republicans have crossed the line into committing sedition? Well, I have a call coming up about that very thing and about the vulnerabilities of certain people who are visiting the White House today in an attempt to overthrow a lawful election. That's so, Senator, State Senator Michael. All right, no phone numbers this time. <laughs> oh, come on. But His pen code is. <laughs> he has been, uh, he, you know, he's trying to run for governor against Whitmer. And he has been siding with the Michigan militia. I mean, this guy has a long record of cray. So it's not super surprising that he's gone to the White House. He has no legal, I mean, they're not overturning results. There's no world in which that happens. No, and, and this whole idea that the Wayne County people can, can, can rescind their certification, there's it, nowhere in law or regulation does that appear. This is purely magical thinking. And so... These guys going to D.C. to tell Trump whatever they're going to tell him. Um, and I, 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 I was getting a lot of shit last night online from MAGAs who were like, how dare you dox them? You said their names. I'm like, well, they're going to go to the White House. They're public officials. They're going to give a speech or, or they're, going to, they're going to meet with the president. They're going to, then they're going to go out and talk about it in the, either the press room or on the driveway outside the White House. And then they're both going to go on Fox. So, yes, those poor, poor, delicate people are being doxed. Um, for, I don't know, trying to overthrow a lawful election. Call me crazy, but they're, they're, I think this is not going to go like the way they think it's going to go. Also, nobody knows what the word dox means anymore. <laughs> no. Yes, yes. Like, no. I mean, uh, did, you, did you post their, their, their mother's or their wife's home addresses online? Like, or was uh, it, no, we, we, we identified who they were, can what find state they're from, and posted their Twitter handles. Right. But yeah, the publicly available thing that anybody yes. can find that public right. officials, in fact, want people to find. That. Yes. Okay. But okay. That, Using but, the sophisticated intelligence gathering method of the Google machine. But, that, but again, that's that idea that conservative outrage is, can be weaponized. Sure. Uh, you know, no matter what the phenomenon, which they, yeah, and they're going to play the refs. They're going to play the refs all the time. They're going to bitch and moan about this stuff every day, and 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 look, it's part of the thing that's it's part of the, one of the missiles in their silo that they're always going to say, "Oh, you're treating us unfairly." You're blah 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 blah, while looking away from Trump with with you know great disinterest. At the shenanigans. Do you guys think, I'm curious to know what everybody thinks, like, what, when do you think this is over, the Trump administration? Like, do you think he, do you think there's any world in which, like, a lot of people have, I think the sort of one of the worst liberal fantasies is that he's going to go to Mar-a-Lago and just not come back, which I actually don't think is what's going to happen. I think he's going to fight this thing to the end, but I'm curious to know what you guys think. Jackie, you want to go? I, mean, I think in some ways it doesn't end. <laughs> I mean, Biden, Biden will be president on <clears throat> January 20th. I mean, that, that is going to happen. But um, the, in, in the Trump presidency, um, as it is a state of mind, I think is going to continue. Um, and you know, Rick can speak to this more than I can, but for anyone thinking that the Republican Party is going to go back to who they were before Trump, I think are living in a fantasy world. Um, Absolutely right, Jackie. 
Yeah, the House of Representatives. I mean, more of these people have been elected as like Trump uh, Republicans than Ronald Reagan Republicans at this more, point. I mean, there's more members a of the House. Turnover. More members of the House currently believe in QAnon than have acknowledged Joe Biden as the president elect. Think about right. that. And that's, I mean, that's, that's, it's, that's it's, where it's a, we are it's a, it's a shit show. Well, and the reason, one of the main reasons that you don't hear Republicans coming out, and you're starting to see, you know, the usual suspects who uh, are either A, reelected uh, recently, or B, Mitt Romney, um, come out and, you know, um, in defense of what Joe Biden is doing and saying that he should, you know, get the security briefings and whatnot. Um, but barring that, I mean, most of these people are afraid of the people who vote for them because they know that these people are so close, that they, that they are Trump. Republicans at this point. So mm -hmm. this isn't going back. So Trump, your, your question about the Trump presidency, I mean, it, it's going to uh, live on in the hearts and minds of his supporters uh, for quite a while. Look, I, one thing I heard a, a, a White House source say to me last night, he said, look, everybody knows it's over except maybe Don Jr. and maybe Rudy. They all understand that it's over. But uh, he said, do not expect the end of him tweeting every day. Do not expect the end of him pretending to be president or, or at any accomplishment of Joe Biden trying to step in and, and take credit. Um, and he said, he goes, and, and the big thing you should anticipate is that the rallies will start up again soon, but now they'll be ticketed. Uh, so Trump oh, yeah. will make money off yep. the rallies. You know, he'll have, basically have the monster Trump rallies um, as, a, as a revenue source. Which, uh, and I can beyond, see it. It could work. Sure. And beyond uh, potential stuff like that, which would largely focus on Trump feeding his own ego and also potentially lining his own pockets, like another reason he's not going away, even once he actually steps out of the Oval Office early next year, is because he is far and away the most popular person in the Republican Party right now. It oh, is yeah. not lows. Order of uh, magnitude. Even if he doesn't run for president again in 2024 or whatever, he's still going to be a massive player in the party. Um, he will have all the kingmaker abilities that come with it as the uh, former standard bearer or the current standard bearer, I should say, of the Republican Party at his disposal. But even beyond all of those predictable domestic elements, I don't think you can close the door on the high potential for things playing out on the international realm as well. Um, as we know, foreign dignitaries and foreign leaders love currying favor with former U.S. presidents, especially ones who just stepped out of office because of the massive influence that they will inevitably continue to, uh, to wield. And uh, one thing we know about Donald Trump is how much he craves the attention of foreign leaders, particularly autocrats, who he loves to call his friends. So um, I, I don't want to jump the gun here, but we should also see if he tries to run some sort of sort of shambling shadow diplomacy or at least shadow foreign relations from uh, the hub of Mar-a-Lago or the Trump organization or, or, or whatever. It's not, this isn't conspiracy theorizing. It makes sense. This is what foreign leaders do to American post-presidents. And Donald Trump, especially as former president and then current businessman, there is no reason why they wouldn't try to do the same thing. But now, Michael, Michael, this is a, he does so little actual presidenting, right? Like he's, never, I mean, I don't know what was the last legislation he was involved in, the tax cut before the midterms? I mean, pretty much. Like, so the ones he didn't mess up for the GOP, right? He's not involved. It's not on like the good side. Right. I mean, he's not a legislator. And, you know, he's done a lot of these executive orders, but not. But most of them have never materialized into anything. So I'm just curious, like, he clearly is a kingmaker, and he clearly is the future of the Republican Party. But, like, can you imagine him actually making a king? Because I don't think he would ever give away that power to anyone, not even junior or heir. No, I, and, and look, as long as the guy can be put in a, in a, in a motorized exoskeleton, he's going to try to run for president again in 24. If only for four solid long years, where I, I'm going to modestly say in those four years, he could probably raise $500 million. And he needs it. He needs every penny of that. 
So he'll run the email scam. He'll remember Trump owns the entire list. He owns all the MAGA lists. They're his personal property. They don't belong to the RNC or the campaign. They belong to him. That's how they structured it. And so he is going to print money off that. For the first year, it's going to be liberals stole the election from me. MAGA can come back. I love you. You love me. Um, help me fight Joe Biden's far-left agenda so that we don't have to have, you know, transsexual gay Sharia marriage for your pets by George Soros and AOC. You know, they'll, they'll, he'll dig right into the deepest part of the crazy Just well. like they do in Venezuela. You're right. Just... <laughs> <laughs> there's, no, there's no scenario in my mind where Donald Trump says hey, I'd better focus on good works amongst the poor deserving, building my presidential library and strip mall, um, and, and, and you know, holding my tongue on matters of consequence to the nation as my predecessors tried to do. Never going to happen. I, I am going to put down one marker, one prediction, and feel free to own oh, me good God. within the next four years. <laughs> I'm going to have to be wrong. I think it would be strangely likely that sometime in Trump's post-presidency era, you see him making big headlines for helping to get like a hostage or two or something like that out of a foreign country, such as uh, North Korea. I mean, former presidents have been sent on missions like that all the time. Mm. The degree of um, uh, uh, um, a friendship he has with a lot of these guys who are holding Americans in their prisons and their jails. As much as we may have, dis have distaste for Donald Trump and his policies and him as a person, those things are often leveraged, leveraged in post-presidencies. So I think it's going to be incredibly funny in a very dark, perverse sort of way when he comes out talking about how I'm a former president and look at this amazing job I've done freeing these hostages. No American has ever done this before. I'm the greatest. That will probably happen sometime in the next few years. So be emotionally girded for that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably right. So when I, you know, I've also noticed he's t trying to, uh, to, to pre-claim credit for all the vaccines. These are my vaccines. They happen because of uh, me. Historians, be sure that when you write your text, <laughs> right. there's a big old chapter that says Trump did the vaccine. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so the, the Fox and Friends this morning saying to call it the Trump vaccine. Yeah, that, that was uh, Geraldo. <laughs> um, Geraldo. Uh, I'm going to pivot to one of the most popular questions that we have in the chat now from Deborah Schroyer which is since half the Republicans believe the election was rigged, will this depress Republican turnout in future elections? And I think there's, you know, an interesting thing with this too is we are starting to see some evidence that I don't think is definitive that that may have hurt all his trashing the mail may have hurt him in some places. The, the Republicans- oh, No, we, no we, actually our, our numbers, our numbers, uh, particularly in Georgia and in Arizona, there's a meaningful drop-off in Republican mail ballot activity, and there's no other externality except Donald Trump saying, it's very, very corrupt. <laughs> your, your ballots, be, it's corrupt, it's shady, you know. But, I mean, here's where we have some instant, we might have some, to, to that question, um, you know, as of in, in early January, we'll see this put to the test, right, mm -hmm. in Georgia. Um, in a way, because you have these two runoff elections for yep. Senate. And that's one of the things that we're hearing people are Republicans down there are most concerned about is the fact that they're saying, you know, they're going through all this rigmarole with the um, with the recounts and saying that, you know, the Georgia Secretary of State, the rhino, blah, blah, blah. And you can't trust it. Well, they have uh, the Senate on the line there. And so Republicans in Georgia are saying, why are you eroding confidence in the vote right right now? Really? <laughs> um, and there's a real fear there um, that, that, that that's what's happening um, as, you know, as this continues to get, um, as, the, as the president continues to push forward on this, which we should note, uh, there hasn't, there wasn't any sort of um, uh, meaningful change in the Georgia vote after this hand recount that we just saw. Right. It was the, the usual sort of statistical trivia no, no, trivial noise in the thing. Uh, the Georgia recount number right now, uh, over 770,000 absentee or early ballot mail-in ballots have been requested as of right this, as of this morning. 
that 770,000 primarily comes from the Atlanta metro area. Mm -hmm. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, do you think I my my question about Atlanta is we have Warnock who's actually been on the podcast and who Jesse and I love. Um and we have Ossoff who's coming on the podcast soon. And I, my question is with the Warnock stuff like, do you think these attacks, like I saw Marco Rubio attacking him for giving a uh, sermon that you can't serve both the military and God at the same time, which is actually, which is actually like a common, you know, that you have to have one God. Um, do you think those attacks will actually, will hurt him or do you think it's just? Look, I, I think the Democrats need to learn that there is a magical word they need to, to stomp out with both feet, and they're going to use socialism against Warnock yes, 100%. more than anything else. And, and, and I, I've been talking to some folks, some, some folks around the Biden world and some major Democratic political operatives nation, nationwide, and every single one of them who's, an, who's a responsible grown-ass adult says – they need a sister soldier moment on socialism. They need to be clear about it. They need to not worry about what AOC or the squad says afterward because it is a bad brand in this country. Right. And it is not even a great brand with African-American voters. Right. But it's, but it's a messaging. That is a fundamental messaging problem that Democrats yeah. have. Yeah. That, you know, it, they, it's not a policy problem. They're not, they're not look, they're the, the lightest kind of vaguely socialist Right. party. It's like, it's somewhere between New Deal liberalism and Great Society liberalism. Right. Like, I mean, and yes, socialism internationally and domestically is a malleable term. It means different things in different uh, contexts. Of course. But, but you are correct that it, as much as it is a problem for the Democratic Party right now, it actually purely is a uh, messaging problem because mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're not advocating like, right, they're not, they're not, you know, Warnock is not out saying, I'm going to seize the means of production. Right. <laughs> and I mean, the joke is the things they are scaring people with are actually sort of more Trumpy things, right? Like, yeah, people, I mean, I know for, I know for a fact that a lot of these vaccine makers were actually worried that Trump was going to seize the vaccine. And we saw that mm -hmm. with the PPE earlier on, where they were seizing shipments of PPE. I mean, that's yeah. way more... South American socialism then no one Oh look I mean there's no one there's no one in America's political space ever more similar to Fidel Castro and Maduro um, and Chavez than Donald Trump no no modern American president has even been in the ballpark of the range of the neighborhood of that kind of nationalism and flirtation with authoritarianism and the statist um, the, 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 statism, the statism about telling companies what they can make and where they can make it and how they can make it. And let's not forget, the very beginning of the administration, one of his first official visits was out to the carrier plant. And he basically right. was telling the carrier management, no, you have to build this kind of refrigerator, air conditioner, whatever the hell it was, but you have to build it here and in these factories. And he was trying to, in the beginning, he was trying to call like Ford and GM and say, no, no, you have to reopen this plant, but keep that one closed. Open this one in a state that's good to me. I mean, that's not capitalism. That's not free markets. That is authoritarian statism. And, and, then, he, and then he dropped it as soon as it got too time consuming. Right. <laughs> and right. carrier deal and it turned out to be built on sand. And he wanted the uh, brief political points you score from a moment like that because no it's about the sugar high it's not about actually yeah, of course you know right yeah exactly so so he wants to dabble in it but he doesn't actually ever have the policy follow through of if yes if you had like an authoritarian socialist or uh, whatever you were talking about there Rick, presumably you would have a grand influx of federal or government money right. including during something like a historic pandemic to, uh, to at least act as some sort of uh, safety net there. But he doesn't, he doesn't actually follow through with it. Swin, so I'm curious. He doesn't endorse it. It's not actually in his program, so. when I'm curious because you're in that White House. Who do you think, I mean, is there anyone in that White House who's, who's like, I'd be surprised is actually smart? 
sorry. <laughs> like where you're like, well, oh, this person, because there's clearly, they're messaging a lot better than the Democrats, right? I, I mean. No, I've gotten close to some of the uh, janitorial stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I got to hop off for a minute. I'll be back with you shortly. Um, uh, so. uh, but, but Molly, but, but all seriousness uh yeah i'll have to think about that for a while because it is i mean it is true like they are messaging geniuses if you look at compare i mean they do nothing and still an enormous percentage of population just worships them right i mean imagine a democrat being able to pull that off well i mean didn't they kind of do it with obama like, it was a different kind of cult of personality around him when it came to, like, uh, the party and your average liberal voter. I would argue it wasn't as in, nearly as insane as this is. But, I mean, it was just one president ago that the Democrats managed to get a president that no matter what he did, enthralled uh, millions upon millions of the voting populace. So I will say there was the same kind of cult of personality did not um, affect, you know, legisl- <coughs> legislating, for example. Right. You know, there, there was no hesitance to speak out against Obama, maybe some people, but like right. it wasn't the party writ large. They still would defy him. They would say, you know, if they didn't want to do something, they wouldn't do it. And probably because it wasn't as this, this um, you know, uh, the vindictive um, kind of uh, nature of the president and, you know, that he, that they would come and get you or they would come and, you know, tear you down the culture of fear really and intimidation that's been built under the Trump white house didn't, that wasn't a thing (laughs) during the Obama administration. It was politics. It wasn't, you know, we're going to come at you. And do you, do you guys think it's overly, I'm sorry, Jesse, I'm just asking questions. Please make me stop. (laughs) I I will make you stop if it's not good. (laughs) Um, Do you think like the narrative I'm seeing a lot in the media, and I'm curious to know what you guys think is that, Mitch McConnell has this relationship with Biden and this is going to mean that he's not going to be as terrible to Biden as he was to Obama. And then I saw like two days ago, a a reporter asked Mitch what he, you know, what happened, you know, some kind of like, do you have any words for Biden? And he just like left and got in the elevator. (laughs) So two things. Um, first, Obama was garbage at dealing with Congress, just garbage. Like, was to- was, like that's why Biden got sent back, right? That's why he was that negotiating person because Obama just never that the though. And then it's a very different Senate now, of course. But the how senators deal with each other, Biden was just is just much more apt at that sort of politicking and horse trading right. from you know being in the Senate for eons. So that that was that that was partially. Obama's that that that's one piece of this. The second piece is no. I mean, just because Mitch McConnell and Biden have a relationship doesn't mean that all of a sudden McConnell is going to be like, oh, you know what? I love you. You helped you helped with the stimulus all those years ago, and my gosh, here you go. You can have your you know Medicare for all or public option or you know whatever they're trying to. No, every, McConnell is about power. Right. That is what McConnell's about, and he, he just. And whatever he has to do to get what he needs done, he'll do it. Now, is, is some is you know is Biden going to get his call return? Sure, they know how to work with each other. Biden also knows this. He knows who Mitch McConnell is. Right. It's not going to be a surprise. So, but the idea, yes, they have a relationship, which is saying something, right? But that right. that sort of matters in D.C. But whether it's going to lead to you know all of a sudden the fever breaking in Washington, no. No, right. we're not there yet. We're not until there's and the only thing that will cause McConnell to bend is if he doesn't have the votes in right. his conference to get something done. Then he will negotiate. But until then, no, he has, he has no there is no reason for McConnell to, you know, to negotiate if he doesn't need to. What about the 2020? to Senate map being shitty for Republicans. Uh, my, my, that I'm not allowing. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. There you go. <laughs> I'm like, I got it. Swin answer too? Yes, I would like Swin to answer that if he has any insight. Uh, the Senate map one? No. Uh, the, one before, the, the one before about if McConnell's going to... Do you have anything else to say on that? No, let's move on. Okay, great. So, 
I'm the like weird Congress nerd creature. So <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we need to have like a FaceTime you and I just for ourselves where I ask. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, this one's a little bit more of a fun one. And I don't know if we're going to be able to answer because I personally have never seen this show. But uh, Adam Matlin wants to know who would be better as the Bachelor dash Bachelorette, Don Jr., Tiffany or Lindsey Graham? Graham. Okay, I, no, 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 I got it. I got it. Mm-hmm. The answer is Hunter Biden. Glenn and I both watched it. Oh, 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 good. Uh, yeah. Definitely Hunter Biden would rinse, just blow all of them out of the water. He would. I mean, I mean, as a man who follows a lot of uh, leftist people, uh, man, the, the, the ladies are thirsty for more Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden's laptop is the mm. star. Mm. Yes, I would I, just, okay. I think, uh, you know what, I'm going to go with Tiffany because, um, you know, it would, it would, it, it probably would be good to have people just be like nice to her on a consistent basis. <laughs> and that's what you get during the bachelorette. Like everyone's really nice to you all the time and you're the center of attention. And mm-hmm. Tiffany could use that in her life. <laughs> I, but, but when it'll mess up her and Matt Gates's relationship. Yeah, I'm, I wanted Jesse to know on the same page. Does Tiffany marry Matt Gates? No. <laughs> When? I'm bunting this to Jackie. Tiffany, <laughs> Mary, Matt Gates. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like to, I love love. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com When picking a commerce platform for your business, you have two choices. Or, I prefer, don't you? That's the sound you'll hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell, online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling your business's complexity no matter how big you grow. Step up to Shopify and harness the best converting checkout and the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands like Rothy's, Allbirds, Brooklinen, and so much more. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache. Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate your products, orders, customers, and more from every major e-commerce platform to Shopify. If you're anything like me, you're one of those don't put me in a box people. Everyone who knows me knows. I'm a don't put me in a box person. And thankfully, Shopify never will, because with Shopify, control of your brand and business is always in your hands, from your storefront look to your back office operations. I hate when checking out from an online store and then having to pull out my credit card and type in all those numbers. A Shopify store remembers my shipping address and payment information. So if I'm on the couch and my wallet is on the kitchen counter... I don't even have to get up. Stop leaving sales on the table. Switch your business to Shopify and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their business. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash abnormal, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash abnormal. Okay. Okay. With with that, uh, a lot of people seem to be uh, the top voted question by a lot is, can we get Lindsey Graham for election interference? Do we think, I think a better question for this that will be more interesting you guys to also bring into this is, do we actually see a 
arm of the government that goes after everybody for all the law breaking and criming that has happened, including Lindsey Graham's obvious, very bad indiscretions. So right now what the Biden folks are signaling is that they're not going, there's not going to be this, you know, um, retribution after the election because they want to move on. And, you know, members of Congress that um, Sam Brody spoke to last week, I think it was last week, they all blend, but it was after the election, um, that Congress is actually going to follow the House, in particular is going to follow the Biden administration's lead. Um, that doesn't mean that you know, all these investigations go out the window, but in terms of like whether there's the FBI is all of a sudden going to like dive into this stuff, I just, I, I can't, um, it doesn't seem like it, it, what the Biden campaign is putting out there right now, which right. is the air, excuse me, the, the incoming administration is putting out there right now. Um, you know, whether some uh, members of Congress are going to go rogue and like decide that, you know, they're going to go after certain actors, we'll have to see. But again, where we are right now in the process, it, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Right. And that's like a big reason why who, who Biden um, eventually picks and then appoints as uh, the U.S. Attorney General might be one of the most, if not the most consequential decisions of his administration in waiting and once he actually gets into office. Because even though Team Biden and Biden himself are currently messaging uh, or, or signaling, like, we want to move forward, we don't want to get wrapped up in uh, prosecuting members of the former administration uh, or the president or, or whatever, Ultimately, if things go according to plan and if things work the way the rules say that they should work, it's actually not President Biden's decision. Right. It's the decision of the U.S. Right. Attorney General. And okay. um, so it will be fascinating to see how that particular pick in the cabinet moves forward in uh, the coming months as we get into the start of the upcoming year. Um, but on a just on a personal philosophical level for a moment, I, I do understand the impulse that's going on right now within Biden and some of his lieutenants' own heads right now about not wanting to look, look backwards in that way. Because, look, and I'm actually kind of of two minds on this, because on one side, you have you would have the image of the incoming administration going after and trying, essentially trying to imprison from uh, the DOJ um, senior members of the prior administration, which conjures all kinds of bad abstract or not so abstract images that you have in, say, various Latin American countries and republics uh, and authoritarian regimes during the Cold War. Uh, the incoming regime comes in, the outcoming regime goes to jail. Uh, so yes, I, I get why people would feel dirty about something like that happening, but then at the same time, you have to think about things like one of the great legal tragedies of... Uh, the American uh, 20th century was Gerald Ford getting in there and pardoning Richard. Right. So the man who committed some of the worst crimes uh, from the federal government standpoint in American history would never have to stand trial or be held accountable for things that should get anybody, objectively speaking, sent to prison or at least on trial with the possibility of heavy jail time. So it's a tricky tightrope to walk. But with, but with Nixon, there were structural changes in the way we accept legislators, you know, that were created in the hopes of not having another Nixon. And I worry that that's not going to happen this time. That's a good point. But I mean, maybe that is a good, good follow-up question to this is, let's say we do get the Senate, do we actually see a Biden administration really going in and trying to change all sorts of things like how much power can be done really strengthening the laws around uh, all the business conflicts the last president had to kind of cripple him so if he does run for 2024, it could be fixed next time? I'm sorry, we, are you talking about Democrats? Yes, I'm sorry. I, I refer to myself You're as one. partisanship. <laughs> I am a, 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 a... No need to hide my partisanship. <laughs> no worries. I just wanted to make sure I understood the question. Um, so if, if Democrats... You're asking if Democrats um, win the Senate. If, if they go after and try to change... Uh, try to strengthen laws that will prevent Trump from all his law-breaking in case he runs in 2024 again. I just don't understand how you strengthen laws that are being broken. I mean, he's, he's breaking laws, right? And so it, the, the, 
it seems like the law isn't the problem. It's the enforcement of the law. Well, that's the I problem. Mean, like, well, like Hatch Act, right? Like, oh, oh, yes. God, another Hatch Act. <laughs> 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 and, and so that's. I mean, that's. I, 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 I understand what you're saying. I just. Um, I, it, it's an excellent question. I just. This has been. It's not just norms, laws that have been mm-hmm. broken, and the the way you stop laws from being broken is you enforce them. And should they? That that is. That's the question, right? Like in in, mm-hmm. in in normal world, these things would be enforced, but we've been living in, you know, kind of a Trump does what he wants reality. Um, and ultimately the voters weighed in, right? And decided that wasn't okay. Um, right. that, that's sort of where we're at. Um, but I, I just, I, institutionally, I don't know what else could be. It, it, it's a great question. I just, I don't, I personally just don't know the answer to it. <laughs> But here's a question for you, just to get a little more dorky. I know Jess is going to get mad at me. <laughs> Congress has a jail, right? I mean, they never, haven't used it since 1832. But Congress <laughs> has power. They just don't use it. Yes. The, I mean, they've got, but... Um, hmm. Wouldn't that be awesome if different congressmen just start jailing each other like every That's other day of the week? Yeah. They, have, they have given up certain levers of power some of which hundreds, you know, I'm just saying. More. Right? But there are things <laughs> theoretically they could do that they never will. But, I mean, but that is even like a metaphor for just like certain things with, you know, <clears throat> I mean, I just feel like Congress has not, we've seen over the last two years that Congress has had very little power. Oh, yeah. Congress has been advocating its power on a lot of different levels for many, many years and right. with many different presidents. But go ahead, go ahead, Swin. Well, also, there's a flip side to that coin. In the, the incredible powers they do have, they've, and by they, I mean also a hell of a lot of Democratic lawmakers, have oftentimes served up that power and exercised it in the service of giving Donald Trump more power and more right. of what he wants. Like, I, how many times, you had people on the New Abnormal to talk to them about at least one uh, Democrat lawmaker, I, for, I forget which one, where I think the question came up of like, okay, if you think Donald Trump is this authoritarian, if you think he's this corrupt, and if you think he's this awful in terms of uh, what he's doing to the American democracy and policy and the presidency, why do you vote each time to just hand him all these toys and massive spying powers that he and his administration can then potentially abuse. Uh, I mean, there is a cognitive dissonance there where it's like, okay, abdicating uh, power in terms of keeping this ruthless, corrupt, deranged president in check, but then also with the other hand, giving him as much as he wants when it comes to literally spying on millions of Americans. Or potentially spying on millions of Americans. It's a fascinating cognitive dissonance that you really can only have when you are given an extreme amount of federal or legislative power in America. Yeah, I mean, I think also, though, and uh, to echo some of the concerns I see in our Twitter replies, when people see this stuff like GSA on Molly Murphy, that they want to see that partisans can't be put in these roles. Do we see a Biden administration acting to get it so that there's less hands for a future authoritarian administration to not be a little bit more unable to control some of these levers? Hmm. <laughs> that face is saying no. <laughs> hmm. Well, I, I just don't know that we've seen, I mean, this has never happened before in terms of transition. Hmm. Um, so whether there would be a, re, it, this would be a very reactive um, move, right? That that is dealing with something that is beyond the norms that we usually know. So do you change, the, the question is, and again, I don't know the answer to this. Do hmm. you change all of it in reaction just to what the Trump administration had done, kind of assuming that nothing will ever operate the same in this democracy again. I, I don't know the answer to that question, um, but, it, but it is something that, you know, people smarter than me, I'm sure, will be grappling with mm. um, going, going forward because this has been so. Um, you hear all the time, like, how can this happen? How can this possibly happen? Um, and how is this legal? Um, so it, it, it's, an ex- it's an excellent question that I, um, I'm just not sure whether they'll, whether they'll change that much because there'll be a lot. They have to fix a lot of stuff that's broken, <laughs> and um, before they 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 change stuff. And how would they change it anyway? Oh, no idea. <laughs> no idea. 
Uh, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm not sure if this, this is at least somewhat uh, related. I'm not sure if this exactly weighs in on the uh, question that that person just posed, but um, I completely lost faith in particularly Democratic and liberal lawmakers and politicians to actually change things for the better in that respect, especially with the anticipation that we will not always be in power. Um, just to cite one example, um, how often did you hear people on the left who were against what Obama was doing overseas, particularly when it came to like drone warfare and the kill list that he presided over in the Oval Office being like, you liberals aren't always going to hold the White House. What if there is a President Michelle Bachman or President Rick Perry who comes in? Are you comfortable with handing them this incredible amount of power in the form of, oh, like without due process or whatever, even if they're American overseas who we've declared an enemy, we get to take them out just because the president says so. I don't remember very, we, if we tried to like name, okay, who were the prominent liberals at the time who took that consideration seriously, I think you might come up close to the number of zero. And surely enough, they left all of those precious, like terrifying powers on the table for a president, Donald fucking Trump, like, to take <laughs> without blinking an eye. So, I think, Molly, I think that the way you'd change that is you would, you would have to move those positions out of the political realm, right? You'd have to make them more of a career position. You asked about how we, how that piece. Right. I mean, I, 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 and I don't know the process to do that, but I, that, that just from a practical matter, that's, I think, how you would do it, right? You'd have someone who's been there forever who's a career person now, who's to say that they wouldn't try to put someone in there and an administration would try to put someone in there that would be more favorable at some point, but that kind of like what they have at the State Department pre-Pompeo. You've all these, you know, they, we saw a lot of them testify actually right. earlier this year. Um, you would put career people in there. Um, but that that's the only way I think you change in terms of like GSA stuff, that particular can we send Postmaster DeJoy to The Hague, or is there... <laughs> <laughs> okay, with I mean, that... The Hague has a terrible batting average for actual conviction, so I'm not sure you want it. Right, okay. Well, solid, you... solid point. Uh, so we have another popular question from Doug Perkerson. I'm going to rephrase it a little since I, I like to do it this way. Is uh, Do we see Joe Biden being president number 46 or 47? Will Trump resign and have Pence pardon a bunch of people? <laughs> you, gotta, you know, I've asked this question a couple of times and it's very popular in here, but every time I ask it, that's the reaction. <laughs> I mean, people on the vast online or whatever keep floating that as some sort of fanfic that, oh, maybe Trump would be clever or nefarious, nefarious enough to do something. Nine degrees, He's not this sort of Frank Underwood type figure that people like to imagine when they're like reading Krasenstein blogs or whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put the chances somewhere between zero and 0. 0. 0.7 that that would actually happen. Why would he need a pardon? He hasn't done anything wrong. Yeah, exactly. That too. That too. Most I mean, innocent say, president I mean, ever. Well, no, but that's what I'm saying. If we, he like the whole impeachment thing, right? Like it just, it, it, he doesn't feel like he has done anything wrong. So if he is given a pardon, that would be an admission of guilt, right? In a way. So just again, I like, I don't think it's going to happen. I think I'm very much with Quinn on this. It's kind of like fanfic, yeah. but uh, I think, but just looking at how the president conducts himself, that would be an admission of guilt um, yeah. if he needed a pardon. I mean, I like, I feel like I wish that I feel like we keep coming to these points where people are like, and he's going to get some kind of morality, you know, and he never will. So I do think ultimately that's who, why he'll who never thinks that? resign. Well, the idea that he'd resign is this idea that at some point he's going to say, I mean, even, you know, that's sort of an innate morality of saying, right, like I've committed a crime. And that will never happen. So he'll never do any, like he'll never, you know, he, they're going to have to march him out of the White House. I, I think the one devil's advocate argument could be is we're seeing him pull a lot of extremely weird levers right now. And we do always say that his survival instinct is a very interesting driving force in him that he does somehow have lots of ways where he gets creative in that thing. I don't think it's ever 40 chess, but 
I think we all agree, though, that that's probably not happening. Um, there's a much better question here from Queen Yi that I think would be interesting for you all to weigh in on, which is with Beto and Jamie Harrison now, we have the two record-breaking fundraising people. Why does this money do nothing? <laughs> well, uh, it's hard to change the demographics of a state. I, South Carolina is a Republican state. That was always going to be a very, very, very tough race. And Jamie Harrison ran a heck of a race against Lindsey Graham. But it, just when you look at just, you know, who votes in South Carolina and who votes in Texas. Uh, and Texas is, 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 I mean, I don't know how many cycles I have heard from Texas Democrats that Texas is going to go blue. Like it is, uh, it is the... Uh, I, I have written some of those stories, and I've edited many of them as well. Um, the Democrats really thinking that this is going to be the year. But um, voting patterns and who goes out to vote, is it, it's a hard thing to change. And you can have all the money in the world, but if you're a Republican and, you're, like, and you want to vote for, for – and you're, you're going to vote for President Trump, you're not going to – I mean, Lindsey Graham was never um, – that that was that the idea that that was going to be a seat that was going to flip was always a little fantastical, and I think some of the money that was going into that race had more to do with Graham than it did with Harrison, and more it was a lot more wish casting. Right. I think, uh, just again, based on how South Carolina votes. I mean, it's, it's really that simple. Texas is a little more complicated, but um, it, it is uh, South Carolina is a, is a is a Republican state and. A lot of things will have to change there before that would ever you know, trend a different way. It's sort of reassuring in sort of way, isn't it? Like the uh, premise we've just mapped out. It's actually harder to buy elections than people might have right. thought in pre-Citizens United environment, which I think is a good thing. I think it should be hard to buy elections, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. But why are the polls so off? I mean, I think there was a, there, that's still being that's still being like uh, figured out, right? Like why they were so off. We know they were off. I feel like there's a lot of theories right now. Um, whether Trump people are pullable, whether um, you know everyone was working with the wrong data. Right. Um, I mean, I, I, but I, I, that autopsy continues, and I think everyone wants to know. But I think a lot of us who are looking at it. I mean, I know Swin and I had these conversations. No one thought that some of these places where Trump was, where Biden was winning by 13, 14, whatever, no one thought that that was real. Um, and, and, and it just, it, it, so it, there was this sense that like something's in this, right, like, Gwen? I mean, I remember us having these conversations, like it, just, it, well, it felt, uh, it felt Jackie, like something was weird was happening. We, we, we actually centered some of those questions around Ohio Specifically, because yeah. like what I have been saying for a long time, like, okay, it, at least I phrased it in the sense of I will eat my shoe if Biden somehow manages to kick Trump's ass in Ohio. It's not going to happen. It's a red state, guys. Like, get around to that. It's not the swing state of like a decade ago or what you remember from the Obama era or whatever. Um, but then suddenly towards like the very end of this general election, the polls all publicly start showing a massive uptick for Team Biden in Ohio. And all of a sudden, uh, the campaign actually started devoting more resources and spending more time in Ohio. And until that moment, until Nate Silver started telling them or whoever that, oh, it's a possibility this could actually flip back to the Democrats uh, in terms of the presidential election, you hadn't really seen them in Ohio at all, which was very telling. They had internalized until the very end that, oh, Ohio is just not going to happen for us. And yet there was this massive cacophony in the uh, public uh, punditry industry that, oh my God, uh, Biden could actually take Ohio from Trump. And I just remember during that whole month or two of that happening, Jackie and I just kept talking to each other, being like, like, Maybe I had Democrats all. telling me in Ohio there was no way. There was no yeah, way. They weren't going to exactly. get the turnout in the places that they needed to. And But even, you know, just when you said that Biden's people went there at the end, I mean, we had sources telling us the reason that they decided to make a stop there was just to make Trump work for it, make him spend more money um, yeah. sure. in, in the state, which is, you know, what you do when you think you're going to win. 
but not necessarily that state, but, uh, you know, the election itself. Um, and they weren't that far ahead of, of, of Trump nationally, but, um, it, it just, it, uh, it, but you're right. It was like, when you actually were talking to people on the ground in some of these states, you're like, I don't just, I don't think that's right. It's almost like thinking, oh, Virginia could have gone for Trump. It's okay. not going to happen. It's not a swing state anymore. Right. Yeah, well, it's the color. Like the, the, the shy Trump voter or whatever that phenomenon is, but like, Susan Collins didn't win a single poll, and then she blew yeah, Sarah right. Gideon out of the water. Uh, 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 my, 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 I. I think that that is a lovely conversation, but we're getting right to the end, and I do want to wrap with something a little bit more fun. I'm sorry. Spoiled again, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Since we can't do a full-on fuck that guy, what I would love to do is do a fuck that guy in the version of who do you think was the worst person uh, of this election cycle? Oh, that's a good one. Swin. Swin, you have to no, go I'm kidding. I love Swin. Let Quinn. me marinate on that. <laughs> no, Swin is my answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Good answer. Good one. Uh, also, speaking of fuck that guy, where, where the hell's Rick? <laughs> well, he, he, he unfortunately had a family emergency. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't, you said that earlier. I didn't hear that. Well, um, Godspeed. Did, did not know that was a family emergency. I thought it was like a work call or something. Um, so who is your mom? I think I, I think I should go first. Please do. Please do. <clears throat> and to buy you guys some time. I think that the worst person, the person who has behaved absolutely the worst, or at least has been Ted Cruz. Because <laughs> Ted Cruz, first of all, Ted Cruz is an asshole, but also Ted Cruz has behaved really badly. He knows better, right? He is a lawyer. And he, I feel like he's one of those people where had he, you know, he's not, he and Marco are the two people who could have behaved even close to decently and perhaps shifted things a little bit. And they both just, you know, and I hope Junior primaries Marco in 2020. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jackie, Swin? Hmm. Okay. Um... <clears throat> Uh, two answers or an answer and a half. Whatever you feel half. like, wherever you feel like. Um, I think a top contender for that position, especially over uh, the past year or so, is Scott Atlas. Yeah. Dr. Mm. Scott Atlas, Good I should say. Yes. Who, uh, for listeners and viewers who aren't uh, um, vis viscerally acquainted with him, he's the guy who does, I believe is chief background is in radiology. He mm -hmm. is not someone who on infectious diseases, any rational thinking competent doctor would go to uh, or a public health official for a perspective on the coronavirus pandemic. But Donald Trump liked seeing him on Fox News and Fox Business because he, um, starting however many months ago earlier this year, he started towing the Trump line and saying nice things about Donald Trump or uh, or why all these like, hang on one second. Hey, sorry, sorry. Sorry, the cat was invading the screen for a moment. <laughs> anyway, Trump liked seeing him on TV, so he hired him, and much to the consternation of uh, various coronavirus task force officials, made him a top COVID-19 advisor to the president and advocating all these ridiculous things, including reportedly uh, herd immunity policies, which basically everybody else on the task force, if, uh, if the president had gotten behind, would have ended up getting a heck of a lot more people killed. Um, he keeps pushing this kind of junk medical science, both to the American people and directly into Donald Trump's ear, who loves the guy. And he... In doing this, he is able to achieve a much greater media prominence and much greater name recognition for himself. And I'm sure it's been great for whatever career path he thinks he's building. But I cannot imagine for any amount of money or any type of advanced career path on a personal level doing what he is doing to get that, to get that sort of advancement, or at least... Um, uh, in, in part in the service of getting that type of advancement. And it's just mind-boggling. It's as if he's treating it as a game. 
when so many lives and families are on the line. And as a political reporter covering the Trump world and the Trump era, you start getting numb to this sort of stuff. How can you not get numb to it when the president of the United States is just laughing and trolling his way through uh, 250K uh, dead Americans just piling up on the ground on his watch and him trying to pass his coronavirus response off as some staggering success. It's, it's hard to not get some professional novocaine to that, but every once in a while a guy comes along to remind you how depraved it is. And it just absolutely depraved. There's no other word for it. And, um, and this era, at least for now, seems to be coming to an end, but the damage has been done. Yeah. Jackie? I can't... I can't top that. <laughs> I mean, I can't top that. Um, you know, well, I mean, anyone, any, like, and I'm not going to expand it. Anyone who has been complicit in, in putting out misinformation and confusing people on this pandemic, uh, really, really, I mean, that, that it, it, it shouldn't be forgotten. We're not going to forget in the media, but it, it just, it, um, it really, it, it, it's frustrating on so many levels. Um, both from a human toll um, and wrapped in that is the economic toll because that has that if you didn't even if you didn't get sick, your business may have gone under. Your family is now, you know, in a, in a terrible position. Uh, you know, anyone who's been complicit in the misinformation and, and, and not allowing people to protect their families, uh, I think, uh, get, gets that gets that award. Um, yeah. Well. That I thought was great. And thank you all so much for watching and coming to another edition of the live New Abnormal. We thank you guys so much for being here and thanks to our guests so much. Uh, and we, I hope you all have a great weekend where you can relax and not think about all these terrible things. <laughs> thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you, guys. On that note, we'll wrap up this episode of the New Abnormal from the Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking with smart folks from the Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science, who will help us understand what's happening to our country and the world. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and share the show on social media. We're just getting started and don't want you to miss an episode. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm Molly Jongfast, and he's The Rick Wilson. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.